<laughs> kind of like what I said before earlier, I'm like really stubborn. And if I like set a goal for myself, like I am very determined <laughs> to finish it. And also if I'm in the lead, I think that's kind of like where I'm competitive. Like that girl was two miles behind me. And I was like, okay, I'm kicking in another gear. Like I can't let her <laughs> catch me. Um, the really cool thing about racing for me is like, I just, I don't think I would have had the motivation to kick it into that next year at that point in the race. Cause I was thinking about taking a nap there, you know, cause I thought she was like probably further behind or something. <laughs> and when I found out she was close, it like pushed me to pick up the pace. So, um, I think just having, yeah, the competition there just really helps bring out the best in everyone. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 81 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. At the tender age of 23, Annie Hughes burst onto the ultra running scene like a supernova. She won the brutal and storied Leadville 100 and Moab 240 races and was ranked third ultra runner of the year by Ultra Running Magazine. Annie resides in Leadville and became the race's youngest winner, made sweeter still by running in front of her friends, family, and local community. Annie feels blessed that Hoka took a gamble on her and signed her, and it looks like Hoka made a great addition to their pro roster. Annie is a fierce competitor, fueled by exploring her limits, trying to find out just how far her feet and mind can take her. She's on a quest. Next up is the Coca-Dona 250, and I'm stoked to follow. We discuss her start in running, moving to the mountains, running at Adams State, burnout, climbing all 58 of the 14ers, moving to Leadville, finishing school, finding ultra, the Silver Rush 50-miler, which led her to qualifying for the Leadville 100, her 160-mile collegiate loop FKT, the Leadville 100, Recovery from there and on to the Moab 240. Running at night, sleep running, managing sleep in multi-day races, and recovery strategy for the Cocodona 250. I'm stoked to follow Annie's exciting ultra running journey. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to get you on. Uh, we're members of Team Koros, and I saw a note on our group chat, uh, group chat, and you know that you had signed with Hoka and you come aboard with Team Koros, and everybody was just raving about uh, some of your recent running and your results. And everybody was so excited when you joined the group, and I was like, "Hey, man, I got to get her on the podcast." So I reached out. And we pulled it together in short order. So I'm excited to have you on here. Thanks for thanks for jumping on so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. This worked out so well. <laughs> yeah. So tell uh, the Run Chats audience a little about where you're from. Um, I know you're living in Leadville these days, um, for sure. But a little bit about where you grew up, what family life was like a little bit, and then how you ended up making your way to Leadville, where you're currently settled at. Yeah. So I actually grew up in Wisconsin, in a small town in Wisconsin. And, um, that's kind of where I got into running. I just ran cross country and track, 
um, starting in middle school all through all the way through high school. Um, and running is the only sport I've ever done. I'm actually like <laughs> really unathletic in terms of other sports, especially like anything that involves a ball, <laughs> like zero hand-eye coordination. Um, and yeah, but running was kind of my thing, like throughout my entire life. And, um, my parents wanted to move to, uh, the small mountain town called Buena Vista, Colorado. And it's just right down the street <laughs> from Leadville, pretty much. It's, uh, like under 40 minutes away. Um, and yeah, so I spent my senior year of high school in these, this beautiful place and all the Colorado mountains surrounding me and just became really fascinated with the mountains and what it would be like to climb, you know, some of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And, but I was also very focused on running cross country and like running, um, cross country and track in college. And, um, the coach at Adams State University in Alamosa, Colorado, um, offered me a scholarship. And so I ended up running for them for a year and a half. And, um, I don't know if you've heard of Adams State, they're a smaller D2 program, but, they have a really um, great tradition and they've won, I think, almost 60 national titles now between the men and the women's team. Um, so uh, it was really cool to be a part of that. And I just redshirted my freshman year. Um, but yeah, got pretty burned out on running cross country and track. It just had always wanted to run ultras and um, became really fascinated with the mountains. So um, I just decided to make a change and get more into trail running and ultra running. And I felt like Leadville would be a good place to do that. And it'd be close to where my parents live. And, um, there's also a tiny little college in Leadville. So I figured I could finish my degree up here. And, um, yeah, it's just, I've met so many wonderful people here in Leadville and it's just, this place has really helped me take off with the sport. So. Love it. I love the, uh, the twists and turns. And, uh, I remember reading in your Hoka athlete, your Hoka bioathlete, you know, when most kids are playing different sports as kids, you know, the kids are, you know, playing softball or, you know, baseball or track and field or football, you know, you had, like you said, you had no interest in the ball sport. So you wanted to run around the track and, you know, you were like kicking ass as like in fifth grade and sixth grade, beating everybody in the mile. And eventually you asked like one of your teachers, if you could just like run around outside and she ended up keeping an eye on you. Right. So you got to give her some props, man, because she stoked the fire at an early age, man. She, she uh, lit the fire, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think she just got tired of me asking every single day, gym class, like, are we going to run the mile fitness today? <laughs> and, um, yeah, I would ask every single day because that was way more fun to me than like playing any of the sports we did in gym class. Um, so yeah, finally she was just like, okay, stay around where I can see you, but you're welcome to run as much as you want while we're playing <laughs> games in gym class. So <laughs> awesome. You wore her down basically. Yeah. And uh, it's a perfect trait for ultra running, man. Just be the Terminator. Just keep going. Eventually, people take breaks. They're throwing up on the side of the road. They're having fueling problems or blisters or the God knows how many other things are happening to us out there on the trail. So it's perfect, su perfectly suited for you, man. You know, even at that age, you're willing to just show up every day and just keep asking her until she finally just cracked, right? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, um... In college, you know, they give you a scholarship, terrific program. Um, 
where did it first start to become a struggle where all of a sudden it wasn't really fun the way it used to be, where you literally looked forward to it every day and wanted to run laps around even when nobody else was with you? Like what, what was, did it come on kind of gradually? Was it, you know, did it take like a certain amount of time? Was it health related stuff? Like kind of what, what do you think caused it if you look back on it now? Yeah. So the first year at Adam State, I, um, I was actually like really, really into being on the team and just really intense about it. And, um, yeah, I just like really put everything I had into it. And I just kind of expected a lot of myself, like just coming on the team, like with this really good program. I was like, I need to like prove myself and show that I like belong here kind of thing. And so I was like, really, I think I would have made the national team if I wasn't redshirting. Um, but I would like really push myself to like stay with the top girls in the team, um, that first year. And, um, improved my like times a lot too. Um, and I also had like an injury in there where I couldn't run for 12 weeks. Um, and that was kind of frustrating, but it was at the end of the, um, cross country season. And then it, I was healthy by the time, uh, outdoor track started. So, um, it wasn't a horrible time to get injured, but at least I was just redshirting and um, I think it was also just from jumping up in mileage so much because I was running like 90 miles a week um, as a freshman in college and in high school, I only ran like probably at most 50 miles a week. Um, and that was a lot for me then. So um, yeah, I remember our first long run was 13 miles on the first day of practice. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's so far. And like now I look at that, that's not far at all. It's like my easy run. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, it's just like different perspective now. Um, but that was like a really big deal for me at the time, like to run 13 miles. And um, yeah, and then I really just started getting into um, climbing some of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. There's 58 of them in the state. And um, I kind of set a goal to climb all of them. Um, and there was a bunch like kind of near um, where Adam State is in Alamosa. And it's called the Sangre de Cristo range. And they're just these absolutely spectacular, beautiful mountains. It's probably my favorite range in Colorado. Um, and so I got into hiking, um, those mountains there. And then that's kind of when I realized like, wow, this is just so cool to like be out here climbing these mountains. And I had always really wanted to run ultras. So that was kind of the perfect, like, um, yeah, combination of my love for running and then also like being in the mountains and exploring. And I just kind of like, I just wasn't as excited about, um, coming back to like the structure of being on the team and just having to run the same roads every day and like hit these certain times, like these workouts and like go to these races, like where you're not really getting to see much or something like a golf course or something. Um, and I just really love that exploration aspect of ultra running. Like you just get, it takes you to these really amazingly beautiful places. Um, and that's part of the thing that I really love. So um, yeah, I guess I was just, yeah, got kind of burned out on that type of running and was more excited about, um, the ultra and trail running. So that's kind of what propelled me to make that decision to leave the team. Yeah. Hey, there's a lot there. Um, and you know, it makes so much sense. Um, high schoolers, some are running high mileage before they get to a college, whether it's a D2 scholarship school, a D1 school, um, even a non-competitive school, 
maybe that just has a, D, a D3 program with no scholarship money at all, but, and they're just having the running program more or less to give the kids an opportunity if they want to run cross country and they want to run indoor or outdoor. Um, so there's a myriad of reasons why kids can get burned out. Look, man, it's just, it's a big jump in every way, as you said. I mean, you, most kids are almost doubling in mileage in their first year. That's where it usually comes out. Um, the kids who are really competitive, who maybe have built up and put more into it, kind of preparing as they make the move over, you know, they can get injured just as easily as you can because they're putting so much more on their body too. And you're all so young. I mean, your bodies are developing, man. Your bones are growing, you're growing, your hormones are going up and down, your stress levels are up. Not to mention, we're supposed to be studying and doing other things in college that we don't always all do. Um, so we, you know, we have this load on us and then something that's supposed to be fun, that's supposed to bring us enjoyment and make us smile, all of a sudden isn't really fun anymore. And you took a real interesting pivot, man. You took an interesting fork in the road because instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to do ultra and start doing this right away, you really went way more into hiking and exploring and getting out there in nature. And then you really were like, I'm signing up for this race and doing this. And you really found it through this other path where you were out there in nature, you're out there in altitude, you're out there with the animals and in nature and kind of figuring out, hey, this is what I really love. And I'm going to do all the 14ers. I'm going to bag them all. How many did you say there were? 85? That's crazy. That's that's a lot. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a hell of an endeavor to go after. But I'm sure your fitness, you know, and getting over your injuries, you probably didn't even think of it. That's probably the last thing that was on your mind. You probably really strengthen your body in other ways too. I mean, you're using a lot of other muscles that you don't use when you're just running track or cross country. And, you know, here you are climbing all the time and power hiking and just, you know, I don't know where you, if you're using poles and you have a big backpack or whatever you have, but you're carrying a lot more stuff. So physically you had to be getting stronger too, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, I was just a little bit less injury prone running on trails versus running flat roads at, you know, fast paces. I think when you start, I always have things kind of come up for me when I start adding in more speed work. And so I think just not doing as much speed has kind of helped me stay healthy. Like ever since I started like ultra running, I haven't had an injury. So, um, yeah, I think that's been huge for me. That's awesome. So at school, you know, you've shifted kind of into the hiking mode. When do you go from, you know, having fun, you know, bagging peaks and the other stuff. When does the first like real curiosity come up with ultra and wanting to learn about how far you can run and all these other things? Because man, so much has happened for you in really a pretty incredibly short period of time. So I kind of want to learn the timeline of it so we can make sure people understand, you know, how far you've come in such a, such a short period of time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, running 90 miles a week in college, uh, really helped me make the jump up to ultra training um, much quicker just because I already had a strong base of mileage. So I really didn't have to run that much more to train for like a 50 miler um, that year. And um, yeah, I just, I had a couple of friends recommend uh, the Moab Red Hat 55K because I mentioned I was interested in like running trails and maybe getting some ultras, um, but I was still like really focused on that goal to I'm all the 14ers and, um, yeah, the race was in February of 2019 and, um, yeah, I just went to Moab by myself. That was my first time ever going to Moab and it was kind of like the reason I went, it was just because I wanted to go there. <laughs> I thought it'd be a good excuse to 
go see and explore Moab. And um, yeah, I just, I really loved the, just the vibe of the race. It was so much more relaxed and low key just compared to a cross country race where it just felt like really intense. Um, And so, and I wasn't really taking myself too seriously. Like I wasn't trying to like win or anything. I was just like that had like the furthest side run before that was a 10 K in second grade <laughs> um, or not second grade, seventh grade. <laughs> um, but the furthest side race was the 10 K and um, yeah. So this is kind of a big jump in mileage for me and um, just love the challenge of like running further than I ever had before. And also like going above that marathon distance. Um, and yeah, I just loved like being able to see a new place and meet so many cool people. And so after that, I was like, I really want to try a 50 miler. And then I had a friend who recommended, um, the Hemas 50 mile in New Mexico. And it's a really challenging course is 11,000 feet of vert. Um, and just like really steep climbs. And I didn't look at the map or like read anything about the course. before, and I was just like, showed up and was like, here we go. Like I'm going to run 50 miles. <laughs> I'll just follow the course markings. Um, and yeah, it ended up being like really challenging <laughs> and, um, I really struggled through it, but I ended up winning it. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm like better at the longer distances. And, um, then I moved to Leadville uh, a couple of months after that. And that's when the silver rush 50 was, um, cause the Leadville race series hosts a 50 miler, um, about a month before the hundred and you can qualify for the hundred in that race. If you're, um, top two in your age group. And so that was my goal going into the race was I wanted to qualify for the hundred since I just moved to Leadville and I just thought that would be, um, cool to run that race. And, um, yeah, I ended up taking, um, third place. And then the lady who was in front of me was in a different age group. So I made it into that top two age groups fine, got my coin into the hundred. Um, and I was going to do it in 2020. So that I led the 100 was going to be my first hundred, but, um, it got canceled. So I ended up doing some other, um, races and FKTs. Um, I did my first hundred miler, um, was Bryce Canyon hundred and really struggled through that one, but finished it and learned a lot. And then, um, I planned a 160 mile FKT route, um, in that fall and ended up doing that in 61 hours. And, um, that was the longest I'd ever, like it's the only, the longest I'd run before that was that hundred miler. So it was my first time going about a hundred miles. And I also planned it all myself and it was a really challenging route. It has 34,000 feet of climbing, um, like all up in the mountains here in Colorado. So, um, yeah, I'm like, so I don't know how I pulled that off like <laughs> to this day, but, um, when I did that, that kind of propelled me to sign up for, uh, the Moab 240. Cause I was like, I bet I could do the Moab 240 in a similar amount of time. Um, and then I ended up doing that in 68 hours. So it was pretty close, but yeah, I don't think if I had done that FKT, I would have like had the courage or confidence to sign up for Moab 240. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy, and that's your first FKT, right? That's like your first time you know, planning something like this. I mean, almost everything you just said was first, you know, it was a 50 K is a, it was a 50 mile. It's a hundred mile or your first hundred miler. Um, Leadville got canceled, but the FKT that had 14,000 feet of vert, that was your first time doing an FKT, right? Was that supported or self-supported? You did it on your, you know, on your own or did you have a crew? 
Oh, I had a crew. Um, so the, basically, um, I heard of a Colorado trail that runs from Denver to Durango, Colorado, like all the way across the state. And it's about 500 miles. Um, and the trail actually splits at one point. Um, and you can choose to go either way around, um, the Swatch mountain range. And one side is a little like easier than the other. And, um, but it forms a loop since there's that split in the trail and it's called the collegiate loop because there's, um, the whole range is a swatch range, but there's a few peaks that are named, um, they, yeah, they call it the collegiate peaks. <laughs> there's like Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Columbia. Um, but yeah, this is the collegiate peak. So, um, the whole loop is 160 miles and, um, I, I would love to like hike the whole Colorado trail at some point, or maybe even go for the FKT, but, um, this just seemed like more in the realm of possibilities for me. Like, and since I'd done the hundred miler, I like kind of wanted to see if I could run further than that. And so, um, and that route just like always kind of interested me and, um, yeah, that's kind of how I decided to go for it. But I planned like my family was screwing for me and, um, a couple of friends. And then I had pacers throughout the course and it ended up going really smoothly. Like I had awesome support. So I don't think I would have been able to do that without <laughs> my great support crew. Yeah. We, where would we be without a crew for any kind of crazy adventure like that? What did you do for fueling? Were you eating some actual foods like solid foods or were you sticking strictly to like gels and fluids and like salt tabs or, you know, did you have some actual real food, you know, like pizza or any of like favorite type things like Courtney DeWalter loves her mashed potatoes. Like what, what do you do or what did you do for that one? Cause this was still, this is still new. I mean, you're learning this stuff. I mean, this is really one, this is your first real long length adventure, right? You said 19 hours, right? I was, um, 61 hours. Oh my God. 61. <laughs> oh, just a, a small miss. Yeah, sixty-one <laughs> hours. I'm thinking of what we were talking about before. My my friend's FKT oh. attempt in New York City, which is nineteen hours. The park is open. Oh, no. Yeah, that's why I spaced. Oh my god, that's completely crazy. <laughs> yeah. So what what were you doing food wise and fuel? What was your what was your strategy? Yeah. So I'm still kind of figuring it out. Um, I'm trying to think of what I used. I think I was. I've always used Tailwind, like since I started running ultras, and that's always worked really well for me. Um, so I know I was drinking that. Um, but when I would get to the aid stops, cause I had like, it was 20 miles in between most of my aids. And so, um, I would have some real food there for sure. I think I remember having a smoothie at one point and a grilled cheese. Um, I think I had some like hot soup and stuff at one point too, a couple times throughout the race. And then I had a breakfast burrito. Um, so yeah, definitely some real food in there, but I think I was using spring energy, um, Cause I've been using, yeah, I was, that was the first time I started using spring energy. And, um, I really like, I use that for all my races as well. Um, so yeah, just some kind of a mix of like, you know, sports nutrition food, and then also some real food. I think that really helps with the real long multi-day. <laughs> yeah. Run. You're, you're almost out there for three full days. So you better have, yeah. you better have a plan. And, you know, I love that you're mixing in some of your favorite favorite things like grilled cheese and whatever, because you need, you need that at some point, you got to have some actual solid foods just to break it up. Cause sometimes if you're like, if I take one more gel, even though I'm not sick, I'm going to throw up. Like I can't have any more gels. And even if they are, you know, a good brand, which that is a terrific brand and it's all like vegan and it's, you know, it's, it's good food. You know what I mean? It's, it's not 
There's no junk in there. There's no garbage in there. Um, and that's why so many people on Ultra, you know, use it because it's clean and it's good and it really does work. And people have the ability to get it down and get a lot of them down, which is what you need to do. Yeah. Um, I think it's like just not too sweet or like it doesn't have, I just feel like goo is just so sweet and sticky. And this is like real, like you can tell there's like real fruit and whatever else they put in there. But um, then also the calories, like there's so many more calories um, in those gels compared to other ones. Like you get like 250 calories in one little gel, which is huge. Yeah. And you, and you need to keep those coming in for such extremely long lengths. Now, how much in the FKT over 61 hours, how much did you sleep? Were you just taking like small naps? Did you take any actual, actual sleep? Or was it just like sitting on a chair or a cot and just like, you know, did you have them waking you up at a certain time? Like, cause I know you were obviously eyeing, you know, setting the FKT. So you had to be mindful of how much time was going by. Yeah. So it was funny because, um, so I decided to do the more challenging um, side of the loop first. Um, and so all of that is like above 13,000 feet, I think. Um, so you're like up high. I think it, I think that was like the high point. So I think it was more between like 11 and 12,000 feet. Um, but you're like up above tree line for the whole like 20 plus mile section. And we got a really big snow, like a freak snow in September. Um and then it was like a beautiful week after that. And so it all melted, but, um, some of that snow, like still stuck up in the mountains. And I was hoping to like get up there before the snow came so that it would, you know, be dry up there, but, um, ended up not being, so it was kind of hard to find the route at night. And I also hadn't done that side of the mountain first or before that. And so, um, was kind of like, I had a pacer with me who was like, trying to figure out where we were going. So that was really helpful. But the um the tough thing about that part was is that I was starting to get really sleepy. And um I don't know if it was just a mental thing of like just realizing like how much further I had to go and just like how slowly we were moving. But I yeah, I like 60 miles in, I thought I might like drop because I just was so sleepy and moving so slow and I like wasn't on track for the FKT and like I took a wrong turn earlier in the day. Um, like I've just, uh, it, the trail kind of spit you out onto this Jeep road and then it turned, like it took kind of a sharp turn and I just like missed that turn and like went down the Jeep road. Cause I thought, Oh, maybe the trail like meets back up with, <laughs> um, somewhere on this Jeep road. And then I like was wandering around and like couldn't find the trail. And then I ended up going back to where I lost the trail and like found it. <laughs> it was really obvious, but I wasted like over an hour just like with that. And so um, yeah, the first like day and night were just kind of frustrating because I was just so sleepy and was having to take little like one or two minute naps on the side of the trail, like in the snow and like the freezing cold <laughs> night. <laughs> um, and then I got to, um, this spot where my parents were meeting me. And then I had a couple of friends who were jumping into pace and they just like really cheered me up. And I, when I saw them there, I was like, well, I can't quit because, <laughs> Like they came all the way here to pace me and like, I've been waiting there for so long. Like, I have to at least like keep going a little bit. And then by the time I got to halfway, um, like 80 miles, um, I was feeling really good. And that was like kind of middle of the day. And then I just started like cranking through that like second night and made up a ton of time and didn't sleep at all. And like, didn't feel tired. So it's kind of weird how that worked. But, um, then the third day was like pretty um, difficult. <laughs> I was just starting to get sleepy again. And, um, 
yeah, but then I ended up finishing that evening. So <laughs> amazing. Um, but there's so many highs and lows you're managing. And this is your first time doing like an epic, super long adventure. You'd never gone for this length of time before. Um, you've never been out on your feet for that length of time. Hell, you didn't need sections of the course you haven't even run. You don't even have a route. So you're yeah. you're out there trying to figure it out, man. This sounds like my kind of plan, man. I love it. Just like make it up <laughs> as you go along, like no plan whatsoever. But it's crazy. I mean, you're dead on your feet. You're passed out. You're falling asleep. All of a sudden, you're like reignited. You know, even seeing your parents and them, you're like, well, I got to stick around for them and my friends who come around for a little while. But in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, well, I could just run a little bit further and I'll just stop. And then all of a sudden, you get like a total second wind, you get like a burst of energy and you just like blow and put the hammer down and just make up huge amount of mileage and really pick up the pace. And then you get tired towards the end, but you still end up, you know, getting it done and just crushing you know, a totally awesome record, man. And it's your first time trying to do something like this. It's not like you have all kinds of experience that this is something you've done. I mean, this this is literally your first attempt at like a major FKT and you got it done. So that would feel pretty awesome, right? Thank you. Yeah, it, it did. Um, yeah, I'm so surprised I was able to pull that off. But um, yeah, it was exciting for me. <laughs> Yeah. And your crew and your family, man, because look, they're part of this stuff, even though they're not out there running all these miles. And sure, you have your pacer friends that are dividing up and they're sharing some miles and, you know, they're having to hear your highs and lows and your stories. And sometimes they got to pull you off the cliff and sometimes you're feeling so great. They're, you're helping them. Sometimes your pacers are like, they're not in the right state of mind, man. Cause I've seen that as well and had guests on where, you know, the pacer that was out there, they were struggling. So like you, it comes in all different pieces, but but, you know, to make it through something like that, it's just, it's not just a physical feat. It's as much a mental feat as it is a physical feat because you're, you're teaching yourself like, oh my God, I can run through all of this stuff. I can, you know, if you don't have bones sticking out of your knee or in some other body part and you're not physically broken, bleeding and falling, we all fall the time on the trail. That's all normal. Like most of the time, the big key is just to get right back up and keep moving. The adrenaline starts to go and then, then you're okay. You know, maybe like eight hours later, all of a sudden you're like, oh no, what is that pain? That thing came out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, I forgot about that. I felt like, you know, I felt like hours ago. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Um, so, I mean, what were your like big takeaways, you know, coming out of there besides just being like completely stoked, you know, that you pulled it off? What were your big takeaways? Oh, I think my biggest takeaway was that, um, yeah, really with those highs and lows, like how you can overcome, like <laughs> when it just seemed like it was impossible. I literally thought it was impossible, like 50 miles or 60 miles in. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I made it to halfway and then it just kind of seemed like, okay, 80 more miles, like I can do this. <laughs> it just seemed like I could see kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but yeah, just kind of realizing like if you're going through um, a really rough patch, like there's time to come out of it, especially in these like multi-day runs, like you have a lot of time to um, come out of low moments. So um, I'm also just like a really stubborn person. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I wonder if I would have like given up if I'd gotten to that aid station spot and my friends weren't there. Like if I, yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was a good, it really helped me. Um, just that experience helped me a lot in Moab, just like having gone through that before. So. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, see, that's that's what it is. This stuff's cumulative, right? Each of these spots along the way, when you're at your worst moment, your your best moment, or anywhere in between, there it's like indexed in the brain, man. It's our supercomputers. And and although we get fuzzy as hell out there and we get dizzy and wobbly, it's amazing the things that we can recall when we need them. You know, when we're in our darkest spot, if you can just think of some of those moments, like, you know, I held on, I had to be there to meet them. And then all of a sudden I got better. Like I didn't just get better. Like I got way fucking better. Like I got stronger. I picked it up. Like I can't believe how much better I felt before that worst moment. And sometimes it's eating a comfort food, something you just need that just like will bring you out of it, a grilled cheese or mashed potatoes, or it might be a beer. I mean, Camille drinks beer. Like people drink beer, people have a shot. I mean, everybody's got their own routine and things that they do out there, but whatever it is, you got to try almost anything, you know, when you're in, when you're in one of these spots. So you pull it off 61 hours, 160 miles, totally crazy vert. You know, how much was the vert? Did you say 14,000? I was at 34,000. 34,000. That's just mm-hmm. like totally bananas. Um, that's crazy. And, and you were at crazy elevation. You were at higher elevation than Leadville, right? At some point you were, you were up yeah, like 13. Yeah thousand feet. Yeah. 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 And, and the fallout was the same amount of elevation gain over 240 miles. So it wasn't as much climbing. So that's kind of where I figured, okay, it's more miles, but there's not as much climbing. So I could probably do it in a similar amount of time. As your, as your FKT. Yeah. So was, was the next big thing that you tackled the Moab 240? Was that your next big thing? Oh, um, so that was in the FKT was in the fall of 2020. And then, um, yeah, I just after that I was like really excited to try and like do more ultra races and um yeah, I signed up for Mob 240 and I was doing Leadville 100 because I was supposed to do it in 2020. Um and then yeah, I just add, like that's when I signed up signed on with Hoka, so I added um I had to do a Hoka sponsored race and so I did Speed Goat 50k and then I did um an inaugural 100 miler in, um early in the season that was my first 100 of the season and um, that was in June and it was the first year they put it on and it was a really challenging course and just like really low key, like old school ultra, like that, I really loved it. <laughs> um, and then I did the San Juan solstice 50 miler, which is a lot of climbing. Um, and I did another 50 miler that ended up winning outright. Um, it's called the collegiate peaks um, 50. And then I ran my 50 mile PR there and it's just on some trails and, um, some trails that I like actually ran in high school. It's in the town that, um, I ran where I graduated from high school. And then, um, I did the behind the rocks 50 miler. Uh, that was my first race of the season, um, in Moab. So I started my season in Moab and ended it in Moab with the 240. Um, and yeah, so it was like a full, <laughs> like seven, like six or seven races <laughs> this year. Or so, and those are that; those are all twenty twenty one races that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, which is first? Is Leadville or Moab first? Did Leadville come first or Moab? Which one? Oh, Leadville came first, and yeah, I ended my season with Moab two forty. So let's talk about Leadville then, because this is hometown. This is hometown magic, man. I mean, come on. You know, this is like, you know, a a story unto itself. So tell, tell us about Leadville, man. Yeah, I, I was, I felt a lot more confident going into Leadville this year. 
um, than I think I would have if I did run it in 2020, because it just gave me that year to gain all this experience and, you know, run my first hundred miler and make all those mistakes, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I did my FKT and that really gave me a lot of confidence to see like what I could push through. And, um, yeah, I think just running like all those like shorter ultras is like training races were like really good checkpoints for me throughout the season. Um, just like the few 50 milers, the hundred miler I did, I felt like, um, I had a good base going into the level 100 and just felt like I could probably be competitive. Um, and the race just also meant a lot to me just cause I live in Leadville now and, um, yeah, it's just a really special place and, and a special race because of its, you know, long tradition. And, um, yeah, I've just heard so many stories about the level 100. So it was just kind of surreal to like be running it myself and um yeah it, it really meant a lot to me to win and I like wanted to go for the win and um yeah it was really cool to be able to pull that together <laughs> yeah I mean that's it's completely crazy it's like storybook you know you move to the mountains you move to Leadville and you end up running Leadville and winning the race I mean it is it's like a tv movie so so take us out there. What was the day of the race like? I mean, it's not like it just, it's not a marathon where it's over in two hours and 30 minutes. I mean, what was the day like? It's a hundred miles at crazy altitude. What was it like, you know, or the highs and lows of the day? And at what point out there did you actually feel like, oh my God, I actually could win this thing. Let's get this thing done. Like give us a little, uh, you know, timeline of the day. I feel like it was pretty early in the race that I felt, had that feeling like, I think I can win this, which is <laughs> funny. Cause it's such a long race. Um, but I passed the lady who was in first, um, about 20 miles into the race. And, um, I don't know. I just like had this feeling that I could like hold the lead. And <laughs> apparently the other women were only 10 minutes behind me, like the whole entire day, which isn't like a very big lead in a hundred mile race. So, um, yeah, like I, thought they were further behind for some reason. And I, my big thing with Leadville was like really trying to move through the aid stations quickly. So I wasn't really stopping. Like I had a really solid crew, um, helping me. Uh, yeah, I would just like drop my bottles in the ground and like, um, my friend Olga King, um, she has crewed for me in a lot of races and yeah, she would like put new ones in and like stuff my pack for me and like put food in my hand to like eat as I'm like walking out. And it was actually a really funny moment because I'd like just taken the lead um, and we were at the second aid station at Outward Bound, it's called. And um, you run through this like really um, long, big cow field. <laughs> and um, there's all these holes in the field. And I had like stuffed my face with this um, banana muffin. <laughs> and um, the water bottles I put in my pack were just like a little too like long for the pack. And I ended up like my foot went into one of the cow holes and like ripped my shoe off and I went flying through the air and like all of my gels and like all the water bottles I just like stuffed in my pack like went flying out and like I had this like muffin in my face and I just like face planted into the ground <laughs> and I had to like get up and like pull my shoe out of like this muddy hole and like put it back on and like get all my gels and like water and back in my pack and like kept going but it was just like really funny moment I wish someone had like taken a picture of me when it happened just like my cheeks full of the muffin and like everything flying out it was so funny um but yeah and then um at the turnaround at Winfield 50 miles in um that's where I can kind of see 
how far the next female was behind me. And like, she didn't look that far. And so I like really tried to haul up, haul back up Hope Pass and down. And um, yeah, I really felt like pretty solid the whole day. It didn't really hit me until like um, maybe 70 or 80 miles in. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's always kind of a hard part of like ultra miler. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like kind of struggling to like keep the same pace. And um, then uh, when I got back to Outward Bound, that same aid station where I fell and everything, <laughs> um, there were 20 miles left in the race. And um, I had 20 minutes on the next female, which like still isn't um, a lot for, you know, 20 miles left in the race. They could still make that up. So um, I... And then the next section was a really difficult climb. And like, if you're feeling good on that section, like I I think someone could have easily made up 20 minutes on me. Um, And all of a sudden, like my quads just like really blew up on that climb. And um, I think it was just from like um, running the whole way down Hope Pass. It's a really steep downhill. And it just like kind of blew up my quads by that point. And then after that Hope Pass section, the steep downhill, you have like a really long section of like runnable. like a nice runnable, like downhill grade. So, um, I think just by that point, like all the downhill, like really trashed my quads and, um, I was struggling to like, just hike up and then the downhill on the way, um, on the other side was like, <laughs> even worse. I couldn't run any of it. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my gosh, they're going to catch me. Cause I just, I can't run this. Like it's so painful. Um, and then I got down to the make queen aid station um, with 13 miles to go. And the next email was, um, 30 minutes by me. So I was like, okay, well, I didn't blow up as bad as I thought I did, <laughs> but 13 miles, like it was enough. Like I couldn't just like walk the whole way, you know, like someone could just feel good and like make up that time. So, um, my goal just with that last section was just to try to run everything, like no matter what. And it was like pretty flat, um, around turquoise, like, which is the last section to the finish. And, um, yeah, I just tried to run all of it and I ended up passing two more guys and finished in the top 15 overall of this 14th. Um, and then I ended up finishing a whole hour ahead of the next female. So, um, that was cool. <laughs> I love the recap, um, from the fall, which is classic beyond belief. We need, we need a statue of you out there at that point for next year's race. And, uh, you know, I would be embarrassed because that's just how I react to when I fall. I always feel like I'm the only one who will fall. Everybody falls in ultras, man. It doesn't matter where you are, single track, you know, holes in the ground seem to swallow us up sometimes. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, your response was priceless, man. Just looking at the look on your face. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was 10 minutes and it was 10 minutes and you got it to 20 minutes and you just kept building it. But meanwhile, you thought it was going the other way when your quads were in a really rough spot. Um, because of the severe uphill and downhill in that one section. And that's why the mind is so important. You know, it's not like we have NASCAR on with a wireless headset and your crew is like giving you all the data saying, okay, man, you just put three more minutes on the number two lady. Like, you know, you, you're going to find things out when you come through the aid stations and you get an idea. But between then, you know, you're pretty much just out there just running or power hiking or whatever, right? I mean, you don't, there's no other way to know, you know, what's yeah, going exactly. on. And It's really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, heck yeah. It'd be stressful, man. I'd be thinking, oh no, they're coming for me and I can't see them. And, and, you know, it just shows you the power of the brain because if you do crack and you get too stressed and you worry about it too much, 
I mean, yeah, you could take another fall. You could like lose your balance. I mean, you could just get yourself out of rhythm as opposed to, hey, just keep moving any way you can. And you did. And you thought that you were struggling in that section, but you were actually doing better than your competitors. So um, yeah, I mean, quads are going to get destroyed you know, you know, going up and down some of those crazy steep passes. And as you said, you're, you were 80 miles in at that point, right? Where you were, where you were navigating that section, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak to any experience there because the furthest I've gone is like 60, 61 miles. So I have no idea what my body would be telling me to do at 80 miles, but God bless, man. And you put more time on them. You kept moving and you came top 15 overall and you won. And, uh, you know, huge, huge win. I mean, that's your first like major race win. I mean, you'd won some other, some other races at that point, but this is a Leadville 100. This is one of the top races in all of ultra, certainly one of the top races in the U S and ultra at the very top in terms of hundreds and difficulty and all of that. So that had to be a huge moment. Now, had you already signed with Hoka at this point or you had not signed yet? I had signed. Yeah. I signed in May of 2021. So um, yeah, I was like signed on for almost all of my, the whole 2021 racing season, which I don't know. I, I feel like they kind of took a gamble on me or like, I, I don't know. I hadn't really done that much up to that point, <laughs> except for, I mean, the FKT was probably my best performance. Um, but yeah, I was really grateful that they like gave me the opportunity and like saw potential. Um, because yeah, it was really cool to kind of prove that at the level 100 and then again at 240. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Exciting. And, you know, to have a brand that's so invested in ultra as, as Hoka is, and, you know, they're investing more all the time. They're creating events, you know, for their athletes, you know, they're just doing more community-based events, you know, they're coming out with great new tech and new gear, you know, for their athletes so they can be racing and running in the fastest and most competitive stuff. So it's it's a great company to be with, man. And uh, you know they got they signed you on at like record time, man. You've got to be one of the youngest athletes they've signed. So it's a it's a huge signing for them. And after um, Leadville, you know this is your home. I mean, did you guys have a crazy party? Like what went down? And were you just like so destroyed? You're just like you know rolled over into a sleeping bag and just like passed out. Like what what was what was the deal after the race? <laughs> um, well, I I finished at like one a.m. <laughs> so. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I had finished like in the morning, I would have gotten like breakfast with my crew or something. But I, yeah, just went straight to home and went to bed, which was nice. I could just like go straight home after all that, <laughs> like actually sleep in my own bed. And, um, yeah, I was really trash after the race though. Like it took me a while to recover and I was kind of worried I wouldn't be like recovered in time for Moab, but I ended up feeling good, like just in time. So. <laughs> yeah, no surprise. Running a hundred miles at that altitude with those kind of crazy ups and downs, because it isn't just the climbing; it's the downhills that are steep that really destroy our quads. That's where the beating takes place, and a lot of times it really can can screw with your calves, and you know all sorts of other things are gonna eventually gonna crop up. Man, you're out there for a long ass time, and um, how did you like? did it take you a long time to just like figure out how to run well at night? Cause that's just one thing to me that I just don't understand. I mean, I have just such awe and respect for the ultra runners I have on my show and I love having the conversations, but I just, I've tried to put myself in the place. I feel like I'm very strong mentally. I've done a lot of, in my own running, but I just can't imagine running on some pitch black road in the middle of the night. I can't. 
And I mean, obviously I don't live in the mountains like you. Um, I don't live in the mountains like a lot of the guests that I have on that are exposed to that all the time. And, you know, did it take a long time for you to get used to just running with headlamps or, you know, whatever else you might have if you have, um, you know, wrist lamps or other ways? A lot of people use ones that are on their hands too, so they can point them at the ground. Like, did it take you a long time to get used to running like in the middle of the night in the dark and just like kind of being out there with wild animals everywhere? Um, I think I was, I had some experience with it just from hiking the 14 years, like start really early starts where I was kind of like, you know, sometimes you have to start at like 3am to like peak at a certain time. And, um, so I had experience like using, yeah, headlamp and just like being on trails at night. Um, but yeah, I think that is kind of the tough part about ultra running. It's like during the day, it, it makes sense. Like you're out there, like seeing all these cool things and like challenging yourself and all it's great. And then you get to the night and you're just like, everyone's asleep. Like you're sleepy. You can't see anything. It's cold. It's dark. And it's, that's when it's like, okay, what are we doing? here? Like, <laughs> but it's also, it makes this sport so great. It's like, what a crazy thing. Like <laughs> no one else is out here, like running through the night. <laughs> I'm so happy you admitted that because I just, I can't get my arms and legs around it. I, like I said, mentally, I always feel like I've been very strong my whole life with sports and tough conditions, et cetera. I guess it just has to be one of those things where I have to move out there and I just have to do it enough times where, okay, you know, I'll have to let fear go, you know, like I'm not going to step into some trap or some massive hole, and, you know, crack my skull open or get eaten by five wild animals. Cause I'm not used to being out in nature like that. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm a city boy, you know, I'm, I'm not used to, I'm not used to that piece of it. So I'm glad you were uh, so open about that piece. So let's talk Moab 240. Cause that was your next huge, big breakthrough. Um, you know, after, you know, following up Leadville, how long, cause you said you were trashed. How long, honestly, did you feel that way? How many days off or even a week? Like, give us an idea, like how much time do you actually take off from such an extremely hard race where you won and beat the hell out of yourself? Like, give us an idea of your uh, recovery timeline. I think I took, uh, like a week to 10 days off after, or after Leadville. Um, just because I was like, at this point, like all of my training is pretty much done. Like, Leadville was kind of my last like big long run before Moab. So I was like, I'm, I'm fit. Like I'm not going to lose my fitness from like taking a week off from running, but it is going to hurt me if I'm like not recovered enough for Moab. So that I just really focused on recovery, um, that whole, um, month before Moab. And, um, yeah, just like, I think the longest, training runs I did where I was just like pacing friends and other races <laughs> through the night and stuff like that. So, um, I had some good time on my feet and, um, just kind of going a slow pace and, um, yeah, I didn't do anything like too fast before Moab cause you don't really need a ton of speed for that. <laughs> so yeah, I would say like that, um, like full recovery was probably more like, like three weeks total, but I was definitely like running after 10 days. And that's like, way more time than I normally take off after hundreds. Like usually I'm running within like a couple days. So, um, yeah, but I was really, <laughs> I think it was just a combination of like my whole season. Like I just done a lot of racing and a lot of training and, um, pushed really hard at Leadville. So I think it was just, yeah, my body needed a little extra time to recover. <laughs> Very smart. You actually listened to your body. 
something most of us never do. Um, we're very good at telling our friends to listen to their bodies. And, you know, you need a day off, take a couple of days off. You're going to be better off for it. Um, you know, all that, all that positive self-talk that we tend to give to everyone else, right, Annie? But we don't follow ourselves. So good for you that you actually were tuned in and realized, you know, how much that effort took from you. And it isn't just physically, yeah, although that's the easy part. You can still feel how crushed your quads are a couple of days later, but it's not like you wrapped yourself in bubble wrap. I'm sure you're outside walking around doing some hikes and you're mobile. It's just, you're not running. So it's smart. You're moving and you're doing what you can to move. And, you know, swimming is always good, but anything you can do to just completely get away is good. Um, and then, you know, you can put your focus in, um, you know, down the road, which you did. Um, so when, when did Moab 240 take place? Um, and that's like a big jump up, right? I mean, that, that's significantly further, you know, than you'd ever run before, including your FKT. Um, and this was just like, Hey, I need to see how far I can go. Or you had other friends running it. Like what was the big attraction, you know, that drew you in and made you think this is, I need to test myself in this one. <laughs> Well, I had heard about um, Courtney DeWalter's performance at Moab 240 in 2017. And that was kind of like the first time I'd heard of, or like really paid attention to ultra running results. Because, um, yeah, everyone was like, you know, talking about that performance um, after she did it. And I just like couldn't believe there were, there was a race that long and then just how well she did. And um, I don't know. I just, I, that really stuck with me. I was like, wow, running the Moab 240 would be like the ultimate challenge. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I've really been like, I just love testing my limits and just seeing, you know, once you get to one distance, let's see if we can run further than that. And um, that's kind of how, you know, <laughs> my ultra story goes, just like doing the 50K and then like, let's try 50 miler, let's try 100 miler and like, <laughs> let's try 160 miler. Um, so yeah, I just really love like testing that distance boundary, um, and just seeing how much further I can go. Um, and it just seemed possible after that FKT, I was like, I think I can probably go for it next year since I know I can be on my feet doing this one thing for 61 hours. Um, I could probably do Moab 240 and, um, yeah. And I also just love racing in Moab. I'm just really fascinated with that place. It's just incredibly beautiful and unique and um, I just thought that would be such a cool way to explore it. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I decided to do Wild 240. And it was in, um, it started October 8th, I think, um, was the start of it. And um, yeah, it took me 68 hours. So about three days, <laughs> a little under three days. <laughs> totally amazing. I mean, just... I can't, I can't even imagine it, you know, being, being out there covering that amount of ground and basically three full days, I mean, four hours away from three complete days. Um, and you know, it's, it's remarkable. Um, what was, what was the race like there? Um, you know, as far as position wise, I mean, how did it, how did it play out? It's obviously over three full days, but how did that play out compared to Leadville? Yeah. So I actually went or led the race the entire time. Um, but yeah, I definitely like, I was 19th overall for like pretty much the whole first half of the race. Um, and just kind of like in that range, like kind of top 20 or 25. Um, and 
yeah, I, um, I really, it was funny because it was a really similar experience to the collegiate loop where, um, I was really sleepy the first night and just like, couldn't stop taking the little like two, three minute naps inside of the trail. And it like, wasn't really doing anything for me. <laughs> like it might help for like 20 minutes or so. And then I would like start to have the heavy eyelids again, and, like stumbling around because I'm like falling asleep while I'm running. Um, and so it just got to the point where like one, at one point I had to take a 10 minute nap on the side of the trail and it was like raining. <laughs> um, and yeah, and it like didn't really help that much. So <laughs> Um, we got to the aid station at like mile, it was like in the 80 to 90 mile range. And, um, I ended up having to take a 30 minute nap there. I was like, oh my gosh, they're like next woman is like surely going to catch me. You know, <laughs> stopped for 30 minutes. Um, but, and I also had some coffee at that aid station. So just like the caffeine and like the longer nap, like really helped me kind of get a boost out of that aid station. And I ended up feeling really good for like an hour and a half and like caught some guys. And then, um, it started to hit again. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was like the same thing as before, like not really any better. So, um, yeah, I just, I had to take the one, two minute naps and then, um, eventually made it to the hundred mile aid station. And it was, um, the sun had come up at that point and had some more coffee. I took a 20 minute nap there. I think I just like wasted way too much time at the aid station. I feel like I sat down like eight and like just took my time there. Um, but then I left that aid station feeling a lot better now that the sun had come up and just, I feel like every time the sun comes up after a long night in an ultra, like it just gives you this boost of energy. Um, just help really helps a lot. And so, um, the next section was just really tough, like not very runnable. Um, like there was a really big climb, so, um, but I felt like I was moving through the terrain, like pretty quickly and like efficiently. And then I got to the, um, 120 mile aid station. So halfway and, um, was starting to feel kind of sleepy again, thought I might need to like take another nap. And then I found out that the next female was only two miles behind me, which is like nothing in a 240 mile race. And I was like, she can easily catch me. Like if I don't get through here. And so, um, all of a sudden I just like the next section was net downhill. And so I was like, I'm just going to like try and crush this section and like make up some time on her. And, um, by the time I got to the 140 mile aid station, I was over eight miles ahead of her. And then, um, I was like, let's just keep it rolling. Like, <laughs> and then we were going into this, um, the second night and, um, the next section was, or the next two sections were each 13 miles. And it was like this dirt road that was like really runnable. Um, and I was like, I just need to like really push through these two sections. And I ended up running like a four hour marathon, like 140 miles into the race. <laughs> wow. um, and yeah. And then I got to 160 some miles. And then at that point I was like over 20 miles ahead of the next female. So I was like, okay, I have a good lead now. I just need to like maintain it this whole next day and night. <laughs> um, and so then it was like a big climbing section into the LaSalle mountains. So that was just kind of slow. And then, yeah, the third day was like pretty heinous, like just moving really slow. And they did the reroute because it was supposed to snow, um, which it did for the people who finished in like five days, but I never like experienced any snow. So it's just funny how like, just how we're all out there doing the same loop, but like have totally different experiences. Like people going through certain sections in the day versus the night or like in snow versus, you know, nice weather. So 
it's funny how that works, but they had us do the snow reroute and it was just like so brutal, like <laughs> um just a trail that was like one step above bushwhacking. <laughs> and it just ended up being really slow. And then the last section, Porcupine Rim, is like this really technical, it's really fast or um famous mountain biking trail. And um yeah, just like very techy. And that was just a really tough section to finish on because it was like middle of the night and I'm like hallucinating and <laughs> can barely like figure out where I'm going. <laughs> and then having to navigate all this like techy terrain was like made it really slow going. But um then I got to the last or you finish on this paved bike path. And um when you pop out onto the bike path, you have three miles left and it's like net downhill and I realized I could probably finish under 69 hours I was just trying to kind of give myself something to like go for (laughs) um and so I ran like uh it was like 20 something minutes for 5k the last three miles and yeah (laughs) finished in 68 hours and like 50 minutes so um yeah (laughs) it was pretty wild I think I ended up being I got um passed by a couple of guys in that last section but I moved up from 19th to fourth, um, that second night, um, when I was feeling really good. And then I got passed by a couple of guys in the last section. So I finished seventh overall, but yeah, held the lead for the women. So <laughs> totally epic, like unbelievable hallucinating. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get some stories on that, but sub 20 at the end of the race, dropping some six twenties in totally bananas. Um, and look, and coming huge, you know, obviously putting a huge gap on the females, but you know, you were like 19th with men and, and ended up for fourth at one point. And where did you end up finishing overall? I mean, first, obviously for women, but in, in the, in the total, what was it? I was seventh overall. That's crazy. That's unbelievable, man. And you've never even done anything. I mean, you had your FKT, which was similar in terms of like the amount of time on your feet and whatnot, but I mean, this is all like kind of more or less a new frontier, if you will. So just crazy stuff, man. Rally, rally city. The other (laughs) girl was close to you, man, at that checkpoint. And then you just like turned the jets on and like opened up a monster lead. But it's amazing how quick that stuff can change out there though. Because if you had given it up and then maybe you started feeling crappy or feeling like shit or like, man, I shouldn't have let her go by. Like it can go the other way. You know, all of a sudden you can't rally. All of a sudden you can't get it going again. Um, and then you start finding out you're further behind and sometimes it just leads to, you know, unplugging or letting go. And, you know, here you just like found a way to rally. And that's still, even though it's not early, <laughs> it's still early in the race, you know, where you had to turn the jets on in a 240 mile race. So I have to, I have to ask a couple of questions. So you're, you're wanting to test your limits is a huge thing with you and continue to find out how far you can go and how far you can take things and how challenging you can make things for yourself. So what do you think that like drive and like spirit and competitiveness comes from? Oh, I, yeah, I just, um, <laughs> kind of like what I said before earlier, I'm like really stubborn. And if I like set a goal for myself, like I am very determined <laughs> to finish it. And also if I'm in the lead, I think that's kind of like where I'm competitive. Like that girl was two miles behind me. And I was like, okay, I'm kicking in another gear. Like I can't let her <laughs> catch me. Um, so I think that's really cool. The really cool thing about racing for me is like, I just, I don't think I would have had the motivation to kick it into that next year at that point in the race. Cause I 
was thinking about taking a nap there, you know, because I thought she was like probably further behind or something. <laughs> and when I found out she was close, it like pushed me to, you know, go like really um, pick up the pace. So um, I think just having, yeah, the competition there just really helps bring out the best um, in everyone um, if you're competitive, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um, I'm really drawn to the 200, especially just because of the adventure of it. And I also think it's really cool how, um, you know, they're pretty new to the ultra world, like hundred milers have been around for a while now and like they're becoming super popular and like, you know, a lot of people are running hundreds now, but the two hundreds are still a, like 200 is a new 100. <laughs> um, like not many people like know about it or are going for those longer distances. So it's kind of cool to be a part of that community. Um, and it's just such an epic experience to like be out there with no sleep for <laughs> and running for that long. Like it's just such a crazy experience. And I don't know, I feel like I grow more in those in that kind of experience than I even did in Leadville 100. Um, just because you're going through so much more. So, so many more highs and lows to manage. Um, so many different race situations, night, morning, you know, how you're feeling, sleep, all the other stuff, but the competitiveness, the fire, was it always there even as a kid? I mean, were you always that way? Even as a kid, did you always have that? Like, no one's beating me. <laughs> I'm going to win. Like I'm very competitive at things, whatever it might be. Cause I know you weren't sports minded with ball, you know, playing sports with balls, but was it there even as a kid? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I was definitely competitive as a kid and like with, I don't know. I, I feel like it's more internal. Like I, it's not like I, I want to beat this person. It's more of just like, um, something like, or like I'll be better for it if I, you know, try not to let them catch me. So, um, you know, I'm of course like happy for, you know, if someone beats me, you know, it's not like I'm upset or anything, but, um, it is just like a way for me to like, um, yeah, just get the most out of myself. Yeah. Don't apologize for it. And we should, everybody has, has no reflection on anything other than that you're a driven person, man. And you have, you got fire in your belly. And when somebody gets close to you in a race, a lot of people at that moment crack when that moment comes up, they're just, they're already struggling. And then somebody gets near them. There's only two ways you can go in that situation. You could find another gear, find another way to battle through. The motto of this show is stay in the fight, man. That's the mantra of the show. I mean, that's, it's on all my gear. It's on all my shirts. It's on how we sign up every podcast. So that's what it's about. Um, you know, in those lowest moments, you know, figuring out a way to manage it, you know, to keep moving forward, you know, maybe it is a two minute nap, you know, instead of a 10 minute nap or it's a 10 minute nap instead of a 20 minute nap, but you know, whatever you're doing, there's thought into how you're managing the situation with the thought of fighting like hell to hang on to your spot, man. And you know what? You worked hard to be getting to first place. Why shouldn't you be fighting for that, man? And of course, if somebody beats you, man, you're going to be a good sport and give them a hug and tell them great race and, and wish them well. And then hopefully you'll get a chance next time to reverse the, reverse the score. I mean, that's, that's why we're, that's why we compete, man. That's why we're out there. That's why it's a race. Um, you know, we're not all out there all holding hands, you know, and all crossing the line at the same time. I mean, there's a time and a place for that stuff, you know, when you're doing group runs and having fun and mugging it up. But you know, when that gun goes off, somebody's trying to win, you know, whether it's the Coca-Dona, you know, 250, you know, that you're going to take on in May or, you know, the Moab 240, the Leadville 100, you know, or an FKT, you're, you're going after it to win, you know, to be your best. So awesome, man. 
keep keep going, man. I, I'm all for it, man. I'm I'm totally on board. Um, so that takes us up to Coca Dona 250, which is in May. So you know, kind of more or less around the corner. Um, similar is it similar profile verts type of stuff in terms of uh, you know conditions that you'll be running on compared to the Moab 240 or no? <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than Moab 240. Um, it's there's 42,000 feet of climbing and I think only 36,000 feet of descent. So there's a lot more climbing than descent. And then it's also like really rugged terrain that we'll be running on. And then also, I think I really lucked out with Moab, um, with the heat this year. Cause it was like a nice cool 60 degree day <laughs> and like kind of drizzling them the first day of the race. And usually like the first section of the Moab 240, the first day is like really exposed you're out there in the desert and there's like no shade or anything and the aid stations are really far apart and so i think i was really worried about that first day i was like man i don't really get a lot of heat training living like high up in the mountains so <laughs> it's like always cold so um yeah that was the biggest thing i was kind of worried about going into the race but ended up being like a perfect day and i think that really helped me um you know do well and um yeah i think Okadona, like it'll be talk with the the heat training and um yeah the first section just looks really hot <laughs> and it's also just longer distance and more climbing so but I think I'm ready for it because I've you know had a couple like longer experiences now and um yeah I'm just excited to take on like this new challenge so the next new challenge and by the way, 42K climbing, that's Mount Everest and a half for anybody keeping score at home. So, you know, just a little 42K in climbing. So, uh, yeah, God bless, man. Good luck. When in, <laughs> when in May? I know it's May. I just don't know when. When is, when is it coming up? It's May 2nd. So, um, yeah, about a month away. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're closing Less in. a month away. <laughs> yeah, you're closing in. You're closing mm -hmm. in. So when are you going to head there before the race? How soon would you will you roll into town? Uh, I'm leaving April 30th, so I have a couple days to drive down there. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really one to like get there and then like hang around waiting for the race to start. Like I just want to get there and like race. So <laughs> yeah, just mix it up, man. Just get, take care of the business, stay away from all the socializing and stuff. Um, so we got to really review a lot of your awesome racing. And it's incredible because you're not even 24 yet, right? You haven't even turned 24, right? I think I remember reading in your bio that you were going to do something on your 24th birthday or, or did I have that wrong? Oh yeah. So I turned 24 on March 13th and I ran for 24 hours. <laughs> That's what it was. I knew there was something from the Hoka bio, but I couldn't remember clearly off the top of my head, but I got not too bad. I mean, I kind of, the 24 piece I had, right? 24 years old and 24 yeah. hours. So so how was that? Was that fun? It was so fun. Yeah. I just did, um, most of it was actually just like a two mile loop around Leadville. <laughs> um, I just wanted to make it easy for like my friends to join in if like they wanted to come run some laps with me. So I just figured if I stayed on like a small course, like they'd be able to find me easy. Um, and then I did add it on like an out and back that made it like, um, a six mile loop, but yeah, I ran, um, I got to a hundred. My goal is to just run a hundred miles within the 24 hours, like at least hundred miles. And, um, I got to hundred miles in like 19 hours and like, um, I don't know, like maybe 30 minutes or so. <laughs> um, and so then I had like all this time <laughs> left over. Um, 
And then that's kind of like when it started to get hard. So I was like, oh man, I feel like I kind of met my goal, but I still have like all this time to go. Um, and then I was, you know, by myself um, for the last bit of it, um, like the last few hours. And it started, like, I just got, it was a pretty warm day, but I was still like in tights and like long sleeve shirts. So I got like kind of sweaty and then it got really cold at night. And so I just got really chilled every time I'd stopped to like eat or like, Built my water or something. <laughs> I just get super chill and it took me forever to warm back up. And then it started just nuking snow out of nowhere to the point where like I could barely see because my eyelashes were like all covered in like snow clumps. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was like all by myself and like it already was like above 100 miles. So I was just like, oh, what am I doing out here? <laughs> um, but because I was going like midnight to midnight. So it's literally running for my whole birthday. And, um, yeah, but I made it the full 24 hours, but I like really slowed down a lot. And then I, I ran 117 miles in the 24 hours. Amazing. Totally amazing. Well, Annie, it has been an absolute blast getting to hear your amazing racing journey to this point, which is a young journey, but incredibly like stocked with huge victories and uh, incredible accolades for somebody who just turned 24. Um, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Um, I always give the guest one last opportunity if, if they want to share like one message with everybody who's going to listen to the show, you know, something to think about from you um, before we roll out of here and say goodbye. Yeah, I would say just to, um, you know, if you have a goal or something that, you know, you but like to accomplish, like for me, that was not 240. Like, don't be afraid to, to go for it and, um, maybe work up to it in small steps, but, um, yeah, don't be afraid to test your limits and, <laughs> um, test those distance boundaries. It's really cool. So <laughs> love it. What a great piece of advice to leave everybody with before we roll out. And um, we'll tell everybody, you know, they can give you a follow on Instagram at outdoorable underscore Annie. So they can give you a follow. We'll put all that in the show notes so everybody can find you and give you a follow on Instagram and follow your racing adventures and see how you do at the Coca Donut 250. We'll be rooting for you, man. I hope you have a great race. And we tell everybody at the end of every show to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, such a fun and exciting conversation. How can you not just be energized uh, hearing how Annie has burst onto the scene at age 23, winning two historic races, the Leadville 100, the Moab 240, and running 24 hours on her 24th birthday, signing with Hoka as a pro athlete at age 23. Man, she's really, really, really got it going on. And... Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the deep dive into those full races, crew strategy, running at night, sleep running, managing efforts, the highs, lows, fueling all of it. She really took us out there and uh, gave us a behind the curtain view. So that was really fun and really uh, enjoyed that experience and excited to see how she fares with the Coca Dona 250 coming up very soon. Uh, I believe first week of May. So uh, that's going down real quickly. And uh, let's give her a follow, man. Let's root for Annie to keep her winning streak alive and uh, keep the fire rolling for sure. Um, definitely give her a follow um, to, you know, track her adventures and what she's up to, man, because big things are coming. Ranked number three 
ultra runner of the year last year. That's uh, really, really impressive stuff. Very heady stuff. So anyway, hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. Take a moment if you can. Take that extra step. If you can go on Apple Podcasts, rate the show. Tell us something you enjoyed about it, something positive you got out of it. And uh, it really helps us find new people to tune into the show, new followers to run chats. And most importantly, it really helps me get terrific guests like Andy to come on and share their stories with the Run Chats audience. So those of you that take those steps, they mean so much to me. They really help us grow our base and grow our show and grow our community. And that's what it's really all about, uh, sharing inspiring runner stories to get you out there trying to tackle new and exciting things and uh, to get you all healthy and fit and you know, getting after your goals. So let's keep doing those things, my friends. Let's keep lacing them up. Let's keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>